The reading is taken from chapter six of Nehemiah. Further opposition to the rebuilding. When word came to Sambat, Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates. Samblat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I'm carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. Then the fifth time, Sanballat sent his assistant to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it is true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king. So come, let us meet together. I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. One day I went to the house of Shemar, son of Delai, the son of Mehetabel, who was shut in his home. He said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night they are coming to kill you. But I said, should a man like me run away or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Samblat had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this and then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. Remember Tobiah and Samblat, my God, because of what they have done. Remember also the prophet Nodiah and how she and the rest of the prophets have been trying to intimidate me. So the war was completed on the 25th of Elal in 52 days. Opposition to the completed wall. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Also in those days, the nobles of Judah were sending many letters to Tobiah and replies from Tobiah kept coming to them. For many in Judah were under oath to him since he was son-in-law to Shechaniah son of Ara, and his son Jehoahanan had married the daughter of Meshelam, son of Berechiah. 
Moreover, they kept reporting to me his good deeds and even telling him what I said, and Tobiah sent letters to intimidate me. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you so much, Kessa. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word, and we ask that you would be pleased to speak to us now as I speak. Pray that in the individual and specific ways that we need to hear your voice, to be changed, or to grow, that you would come and and come and do that, Lord. Please send your Holy Spirit to help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to speak with you this morning about how to recognize and overcome the opposition. How to recognize and overcome the opposition. Now, we've got kind of three um, interesting, intersecting things happening um, uh, this Sunday. We've got, obviously, the Queen's uh, Platinum Jubilee, or as I saw it called recently with the cool kids, the platy jubes, I quite like that. But um, uh, yeah, I'm going to try and use that in the future at some point. I haven't found a legitimate way to use it without sounding really old. Um, but um, it's a good one, isn't it? So we've got that, and uh, Eliz- you know, Elizabeth is just amazing, isn't she? She's a total inspiration. And as we've uh, been looking at kind of the book of Nehemiah and his uh, character. It has, um, at times, made me think of her, actually. Um, And then, of course, it's Pentecost, and we're celebrating the coming of the Holy Spirit and all that that means for us. I liked this description of Pentecost, that Christmas was God with us, Easter was God for us, and Pentecost is God in us. And the glory of that, that the Holy Spirit's not an impersonal force, but is God's very reality, his very presence um, living in us. And then uh, the third thing, of course, is that we're carrying on our preaching series um, in the book of Nehemiah and seeing these various obstacles that um, he needs to overcome. And in this particular chapter, what we see really is uh, two of his enemies, Tobiah and Sanballat, getting um, increasingly desperate in their attempts to stop him completing building the wall and failing as they do that. Last week, we were looking at how to turn our battles into blessings and how it was essentially Nehemiah's character that was crucial in that. And this week, we're going to be looking at his amazing discernment and how his discernment helps us to both recognize, can help us to both recognize and overcome the opposition. And while Nehemiah is an Old Testament book, it wouldn't be inaccurate to say that it's a powerful picture of the spiritual warfare of being a Christian. In 1 Peter chapter 5, um, it says this, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And then it says this, resist him standing firm in the faith. And that's what Nehemiah chapter 6 can teach us, I think, how to recognize and resist the devil's tactics for taking us off track. Now, 
I, I can't see anyone new here, but in case there's anyone new watching online, I don't make a habit of speaking about the devil, um, but it is one of those passages um, that deals with this whole issue of opposition and how we deal with it. So um, I'm talking about it because I think it's there in the text. Um, and really, I want to give you three, maybe four principles to, for recognizing and overcoming spiritual opposition. And the first principle is this, that spiritual attack can sometimes come straight after significant breakthroughs or answers to prayer. I heard it put recently that God's blessing never goes uncontested by the devil. And you can see that, can't you, in this reading. It says in verse 1, um, when word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall. So there's the amazing blessing and breakthrough that against all of the odds, he's been able to achieve this incredible feat of rebuilding the walls of Jer Jerusalem. And then it says, not a gap was left in the wall, though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates. Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message, come let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. So seems fairly innocent, it's a neutral territory. But listen to Nehemiah's discernment. He says, but they were scheming to harm me. They were scheming to harm me. Sometimes your greatest answer to prayer can be followed by spiritual attack. Sometimes a great blessing can be followed by a great battle. The walls of Jerusalem were built. What an amazing and unexpected blessing that must have been. But then comes the battle. And our spiritual attack takes many forms, and you can see all of them in the book of Nehemiah. There's anger and ridicule, and finally, there's um, a physical attack on Nehemiah as well in an attempt to just kill him. And it's teaching this, I think, that the devil never shows us his true cards at first. You know, the devil doesn't come to us and say, my goal is to destroy you, to shame you, and to ruin your life forever. The devil doesn't come to us and say, there's a God of grace who loves you more than you could possibly imagine and gave his life for your redemption so you can actually trust him and obey him. No, he comes to us much like Sambalat and Tobiah. He comes with subtle temptations, half-truths and outright lies, false promises of happiness and fulfillment. And he tries to make us believe that obeying and trusting God will lead to bad things for us. The devil is variously called um, an accuser um, and a murderer and the father of lies. And the first principle is for us to know and be ready that spiritual attack can sometimes come straight after a significant breakthrough. In 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it says this, so if you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. It's possible to experience an incredible breakthrough like, you know, doing the Alpha course, being filled with the Holy Spirit, the joy of forgiveness and a clean slate, freedom, purpose, community, reconciliation to God. 
But then to find yourself bombarded with temptations and battles the very next day. Maybe family members who ridicule you and don't understand your faith. Maybe a wrong relationship that pushes your boundaries. Maybe an opportunity to sin and just go along with the crowd anonymously. Don't know what it is for you, but Nehemiah um, isn't fooled, is he? He says quite plainly, they were scheming to harm me. And that is exactly what the devil is doing when he tempts us. When the devil tempts us, he isn't sort of trying to give us a taste of something enjoyable but naughty uh, when he tempts us. You know, all pleasure and joy is found in God alone. When the devil tempts us, um, he only has our misery and ruin in mind. There might be short-term pleasure, but there's long-term pain and consequences. When that toxic relationship pops up, when you're browsing the internet late at night, when you're out with the wrong crowd, when the argument starts and you're tempted to let go of your control on your temper, I don't know what it is for you. But 1 Corinthians chapter 10 goes on to give this amazing promise in the face of temptation. It goes on to say, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, like he did with Nehemiah, he will provide a way out so that you can endure it. Principle one for recognizing and overcoming spiritual opposition is this, that spiritual attack can sometimes come straight after a significant breakthrough or answer to prayer and to be alert and unsurprised by it um, when it happens. Principle number two is this, to be suspicious of anything that comes between you and obeying God's call on your life. To be suspicious of anything that comes between you and obeying God's call on your life. So verses three to four, it says, I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message and each time I gave them the same answer. If the devil can't throw us off by temptations, then another tactic is distractions. It says that Sanballat and Tobiah sent the same message four times. I found, and maybe you can relate to this, that sometimes what is least important can sometimes shout the loudest in leadership and in life. Maybe a toxic email flies into your inbox demanding action right now. But I find if I'm not careful, you can find myself sort of panicking and reacting instead of acting in a way that is consistent with what God has called me to do. Or maybe my time needs to be spent elsewhere. I heard it once said that good leadership is defined more by our no's than it is by our yeses that when we've got clarity of mission, it actually involves saying no to a lot of stuff, sometimes even really good stuff, 
because it's not part of the specific mission that God has given to us. So sometimes saying yes to God inevitably means saying no to a lot of other things. What I wonder is God calling you and I to say no to this morning in order to stay on track with his calling for our life. It might be as simple as putting boundaries around a date night with your spouse so that work doesn't encroach on your time together. It might be about spending more time with Christian friends to have that positive influence for God in your life. It might be about spending less time in church meetings and committees and more time making a difference in a different area of church life. Maybe the thing you're doing is actually really good and important, but someone else could be doing it. In Acts chapter 6, it describes a problem where some of the widows are being neglected in the uh, daily distribution of food. So it's a super important issue, but the apostles discern someone else can and should be leading this, and they say, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word to wait on tables. And then a bit later, they, set, they choose seven godly, spirit-filled leaders to oversee that ministry of practical service to the poor. And then they say in chapter 6, we will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to what? We will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. There's that clarity about mission, isn't there? They know what God has called them to do. The apostles have this second principle nailed down, don't they? They know their specific mission and therefore they won't let other things, even really good things, get in the way of what God is calling them to do. So the second principle for recognising and overcoming opposition is this, to be suspicious of things that get in the way and take you off track from the specific mission God has given you for your life. The third principle is this, that the harder the enemy attacks, the harder we will carry on. The harder the enemy attacks, the harder we will carry on. So starting at verse 5, it says, Then the fifth time, Sanballat sent his aide to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it is true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are to become their king, and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king, so come, let us meet together. I sent him this reply, nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. Now, I just want us to try and imagine what it must have been like for Nehemiah in this moment and how tempted he must have been to give up. Sam Balat puts together this slanderous, open letter um, accusing Nehemiah of sedition and plotting to proclaim himself as the king. It represents a change in tactic, whereas earlier, he's, uh, Sam Balat has tried 
a pretense of friendliness, now he tries accusation and slander and says, oh, this Nehemiah guy, he's just getting, you know, he's surrounding himself with prophets and he's writing their prophecies for them so that he just hears what he wants to hear. It's totally untrue. And Nehemiah could have so easily thrown in the towel, even at this point, couldn't he? But he has the grit and the clarity of mission to say, I'm not backing down. Strengthen my hands. He says, in effect, the harder the enemy attacks, the harder I will carry on. The harder the enemy lies, the more I will speak the truth. The harder the enemy accuses, the more I will preach the cross of Jesus. Because some battles are not because you're doing something wrong, but because you're doing something right. And it's attracting spiritual attack because God is at work in and through you. So don't give up and keep on carrying on. And just as Sanballat slanders and lies about Nehemiah, so also the devil slanders and lies about us. One of the devil's key tactics is the tactic of accusation. In Revelation chapter 12, the devil is described as the accuser of God's people day and night. And so we can take that to mean that one way to recognize spiritual opposition in your life is to look for thoughts and feelings of self-accusation. Maybe you started something new and exciting and you feel a degree of imposter syndrome and the devil can sort of come along and that side, that vulnerability, and start whispering to you, you know, you're a joke. Nobody's going to listen to you. Or maybe the devil whispers to you in a difficult season, you're alone. Nobody will understand what you're going through and they never will. You are alone. Or maybe the devil whispers to you, you'll never over overcome that behavior or that addiction. So you may as well just give up now. But whatever the accusation is, Scripture is so powerful and you can use the word of God to fight back against accusing thoughts. You don't have to accept them. A scripture I come back to a lot is Romans chapter 8 when Paul says that there's no condemnation, none. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. One of the most eloquent people to write about the spiritual warfare of the Christian life was the great reformer Martin Luther, and uh, I quite like his approach for countering accusing thoughts from the devil. He says this, Satan, in accusing me of being a damnable sinner, you are cutting your own throat. You are reminding me of God's fatherly goodness toward me, that he so loved the world that he sent his son for me, so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. In calling me a sinner, Satan, you really comfort me above measure. And then Luther says, with such heavenly cunning, we are to meet the devil's craft and put from us the memory of sin. So do you see what he's saying? He's saying we identify the accusing thought and then we bring it to the light of God's word and to the finished death 
and resurrection of Christ to stand in his promise. Now, I started by saying that today is Pentecost Sunday, and the good news is that there is help from heaven available to you this morning to recognize and overcome spiritual opposition, to know and experience how much God loves you, because the Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force. The Holy Spirit is a person and is God's very presence with us. Elsewhere, the Holy Spirit is described as the comforter. And when we pray those words of Nehemiah, God, strengthen my hands. I desperately need your help. I desperately need your presence to get me through this. The Holy Spirit comes to help us. Just ask him. And so I want to give us an opportunity now in the silence to just pray together um, those ancient words of the, Holy Ch- of, the, of the church, come Holy Spirit, to ask the Lord to come and to help us in the individual and specific ways that only he can. So let's do that now. Come Holy Spirit. Bring refreshment where there's weariness. Lord, we ask you to come and fill us afresh this Pentecost with your wonderful, amazing, life-giving spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.